The key to obtaining what you truly need is to receive what Jesus offers you. In other words, when Jesus offers you something, he's not wasting your time. He's telling you that this is something that you really need to put into your life. And uh, recently we've been going through a series of I am statements that Jesus made in John's gospel. And and every I am proclamation that Jesus made indicates that he's offering us something that we truly need. Jesus knows that we, each one of us, needs to be sustained spiritually. And so he says to us, I am the bread of life. Jesus knows that we need to see clearly the path of our life so that we can uh, remain away from obstacles, so that we might not go on the wrong path. And so Jesus says to us, I am the light of the world. We need to be kept safe from those who would mislead us and those who would harm us. So Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. We need someone who will guide us, who will show us the right way to live. And Jesus says to us, I am the good shepherd. We need someone who can deliver us from our worst enemy, which is the enemy of death. And Jesus says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. And we need someone who ultimately knows the way to God the Father. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And today we've come to the very last of the images that Jesus connects the I am statement to. And he says this to us today in John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. Now, that's sort of an interesting statement. I am the true vine. And, and it might not mean very much to us because most of us don't deal with vines. Our, our dealings with vines basically is if we see a vine in our lawn, we cut it off and, you know, get rid of it, you know. And so what in the world does Jesus really mean when he says, I am the true vine? If every one of these other things that Jesus said I am to indicates some need that we have, well, what does a vine indicate with regard to our needs? Well, fortunately, today you've come to the right place for answers to all of your questions about vines. I know this morning you were probably worried that you might not receive all of your answers to all of your questions about vines. But you know, I am quite a horticulturalist. I really am. I mean, at my house, I've grown a large variety of plants indigenous to West Texas. Dandelions, crabgrass, broadleaf, Dallas grass, chickweed. I could go on. And not only am I very adept, at nurturing and growing these precious plants, but I'm also very generous. Without even being asked, I share my plants with my next-door neighbors. And, you know, although my next-door neighbors have never personally expressed their gratitude, they seem to have a quiet admiration of my skills. Sometimes I see them just staring at my lawn, and they're, they're shaking their head in amazement. As if to say, how does he do it? It's as if he puts in no effort at all. If I could only learn from the master, I'm sure that's what they're thinking. 
So in the next few moments, just relax and put all of your vine worries and troubles aside as I explain hopefully exactly what Jesus means when he says to us, I am the true vine. Now, when Jesus says this, he's referring to a very specific type of vine, a grapevine. And that's our favorite kind of vine because a song was written decades ago about the grapevine, and we love that song, don't we? You know, in ancient Israel, just like today, vineyards would often be built on terraced hillsides, as you see in that picture there. And uh, often, around the edge of such a terrace, uh, there would be placed a thorny hedge that would try to deter animals and critters and even thieves from coming in and stealing the precious fruit. You know, and sometimes a watchtower would be built nearby for surveillance, and the watchtower might even be big enough that it could serve as a summer house for the vineyard workers to help keep them cool during those hot days. Now, something you do need to know about vines is that vines cannot support their own weight. They're not like a tree. A tree trunk can support its own weight and it grows tall. But a vine will not grow tall. If a vine doesn't have something to attach itself to, it'll just spread out over the ground because it cannot support its own weight. And so the vineyard dressers in ancient days and even today would put up some supports. And these supports would actually be clung to by the vine. And so vines don't always grow like some plants that grow toward the sun. Uh, Some vines in some tropical areas actually grow away from the sun toward the shadows. Uh, But most vines, including grapevines, grow according to touch. And if something, if an outside influence touches them, they grow and attach themselves to it. And so these supports would be built up uh, because the more cubic space you can provide for your grapevines, the more fruit you might be able to get. And so now the purpose of growing vines is not to produce shoots, the little stems. It's not to produce shoots at all. The purpose of growing vines is not to produce the beautiful green leaves, not at all. The purpose of growing vines is to produce sweet, wonderful grapes. Now, the left side of this image that you see on the screen indicates what you might sort of see during a dormant season. And that would be normal during the dormant season. But during the fruit-bearing season, what you better see is what's on the right side of the screen, because that's that's what you want to see. And so if the fruit-bearing season comes along and there are branches that should be that you're bearing fruit, but they're not bearing fruit, well, it becomes very obvious because it looks like the left side of of the screen. Again, fruitfulness is the goal. Bearing fruit is the only purpose of the branch. And if the branch bears fruit, it indicates something about the vine dresser, about the master gardener. It indicates that he is a success. And so the vine dresser receives glory when the branches bear fruit. But if a branch does not bear fruit... What use is that to the vine dresser? And so with that in mind, Jesus uses this earthly metaphor to describe a very simple truth. And here it is. If we want to bear spiritual fruit, we need Him. 
We need to be connected to Him. And so in verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 15, this is what Jesus says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so the task of the master gardener, the task of the vine dresser, and we know in this teaching that person is God the Father. His task is to distinguish between productive and unproductive branches and to deal appropriately with both. Unproductive branches are cut off. They are cast into the fire. Later in verse 6, we read these words. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Let's talk about dead branches for just a moment, because Jesus talks about it. One of the problems with dead branches is that they're still connected to the vine, yet they produce no life. And because dead branches are still connected to the vine, the dead branches might think, well, everything's okay. Dead branches might look at themselves and say, hey, look at me. I'm connected to Jesus. I have a relationship to Jesus. But here's the problem. The problem is not, do you have any type of connection with Jesus? That's not the issue. The issue is the nature of your connection with Jesus. What do I mean by that? You might have a connection or a relationship with Jesus that's based on tradition. You might say, well, yeah, you know, I've got a relationship with Jesus. I mean, I've been going to a Baptist church as long as I remember. Tradition. Or you might have a connection with Jesus, even, you might even say a relationship with Jesus through family history. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got a connection. I've got a relationship with Jesus. I come from a long line of Christians. You can go down my genealogy and, and see all the Christians, all the deacons and the Baptist pastors and everything else. And so, yeah, that includes me too. You might have a relationship with Jesus through Israel even. In fact, keep your finger there and turn back to the book of Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, there's a beautiful song, except it's just not very much a happy song. Isaiah chapter 5, listen to what the song, how, how the song sings. We read, now, let me sing for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and also hewed out a wine vat in it. And then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. By the way, 
what God is saying is that he took a wild branch, if you will, from Egypt, and he planted it in the promised land, Israel. But now it's not producing the kind of fruit that he desired. It's producing wild grapes. The word, this term wild grape is it's really the fruit of the ginkgo tree. It, it's technically this term. It's producing stink berries. Now, that might sound like something fun to call your brother or sister. Mom, he's being a stinkberry, you know. But let me explain what a stinkberry really is. Stinkberries have butyric acid in them. Butyric acid is the same type of acid that develops when you have butter that turns rancid. Butyric acid is the type of acid that you have when you vomit. It's not a good smell. It's not what God wants. It's as if the Lord was saying, you make me sick. I've done everything for you, and you're not producing the sweet fruit that I want. The song continues in verse 3. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. God was not getting the fruit that he wanted. But people of that day may have said, Hey, we're good. We're Israel. We're the chosen people. You might think that you have some type of connection with Jesus, a relationship with Jesus, but if it's based on the wrong thing, then you're not going to produce the right type of fruit. You know, when we talk to other people about whether they are Christians or not, if all we ever do is ask them if they have a relationship to Jesus, we're going to get a lot of false positives. We've heard a lot about false positives, right, with COVID testing and all that. We might get a lot of false positives if our questions aren't right. You know, because if we just ask someone, do you have a relationship with Jesus, they may be thinking through tradition, and that's a false positive. If we ask someone if they have a relationship with Jesus, they may be thinking through family history, and that's a false positive. A relationship with Jesus through Israel is a false positive. A relationship with Jesus through Hinduism is a false positive. Hindus would say, oh yes, I have a relationship with Jesus. He is one of my many gods. A relationship with Jesus through Islam is a false positive. A, 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 a false positive. A Muslim might say, oh yes, I have a relationship with Jesus. He is an inferior prophet to Muhammad, who did, and he did not die on the cross. That's his Jesus. A relationship with Jesus through being an American is a false positive. 
An American might say, oh, yes, I have a relationship with Jesus. I say the under God part of the pledge every time I take the Pledge of Allegiance. I pray every Thanksgiving before eating and during the Cowboys game. You know, the question is not whether you have a relationship with Jesus. It really isn't. The question is the nature of your relationship with Jesus. Because the only relationship with Jesus that bears fruit is the relationship based on faith. You must have faith in Jesus if you want to bear fruit. But any person who somehow thinks they relate to Jesus in any other way, they will bear no fruit. That person is spiritually dead. That person will soon be taken away and burned. But the person who has faith in Jesus will bear fruit. Look at verse 2, the last part again. It says, Every branch that bears fruit, God the Father prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Pruning is the act of cutting away parts of the plant that hinder fruitfulness of that plant. Pruning for a vine, for a grapevine, it includes cutting away the excess foliage because some of the times that foliage will block the sun, it will block the air, and it will hinder the fruitfulness. Pruning of a grapevine might even mean cutting away some of the shoots so that two other shoots might grow in its stead. God prunes us who are faithful. God the Father wants to keep you away from spiritual disease, and so He prunes us. God the Father wants to keep you away from harmful outside influences and pests spiritually, and so He prunes us. That's why God takes us through this process of pruning, and, and He cuts away parts of you that are hindering your fruitfulness for Him. But sometimes we don't like pruning, do we? Oh, I like to gossip. I like to, I like to stretch the truth. Oh, I like to be lazy. God, please don't take my, my favorite things away like that. Please don't prune that from my life. But listen, God prunes away that excess stuff in your life that harms you because He's trying to help you. Because God knows that gossip is a lot of fun until it costs you a friendship. He knows that stretching the truth is a lot of fun until it costs you your reputation. He knows that being lazy is a lot of fun until it hurts you and your family. A mature Christian, on the other hand, will welcome God's pruning you know, you might even see parts of your own life that need to be pruned away. And you might take the initiative and call out to God and ask Him, Lord, prune this from my life. Cut this away. It's harmful to me. But sometimes, even the most mature Christian is blind to the areas that need to be pruned. And that's when God will, from time to time, intervene. And He'll prune away Harmful relationships. Has God ever pruned away a harmful relationship from you? And you know it hurts, but it's good for you. God will prune away harmful habits or harmful words from your vocabulary. 
God will prune away even harmful thoughts. Sometimes He'll even allow us to pay a, pay a price, to learn a lesson, to put it in language we can understand, to get a spanking. Because getting a spanking is a lot better than running out in the street. And so sometimes the Lord will do something like that for us in order to teach us, to keep us from further harm. Why does God do this? Why does God prune this from us? Because God loves those whom He disciplines. He loves you. And so He's going to discipline you. Jesus says in verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Listen, if you have received Jesus' words as truth, and you implant His words in your heart, if you make that a practice, the Spirit of God keeps you clean. He sets your life on the right path, the path of bearing fruit. Jesus said, Abide in me, in verse 4. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Okay, you got that imagery? A branch connected to the vine, if you cut that branch off, it will bear no more fruit. It has to be connected to the vine. Okay? And so, just as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 4 tells us that we cannot bear fruit apart from Christ. Verse 5 tells us that if we do abide in Christ, we'll bear much fruit. We have the same teaching, both in a negative and a positive sense, we must be connected to Jesus in order to bear fruit. Two questions. Number one, what does it mean to abide in Christ? I mean, what's, it, what's that literally mean? What's it look like? Number two, how do I do it? So let's take these two questions. Number one, how, or excuse me, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Here it is. To abide in Christ means... To keep in fellowship with Christ so that His life can work in you and can work through you to produce fruit. Some of the fruit that Jesus produces, His life produces in you, will be internal fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But other types of fruit will be where Jesus is working through you to produce fruit in other people, to bless others, okay? And so when a branch is attached to the vine, that branch bears fruit, why? Because it receives life from the vine. And when you are attached to Jesus, when you have fellowship with Jesus, you literally receive Spiritual life from Him. His life is at work in you. His life is at work through you. And you bear fruit. So that leads us to the next question. How do we do it? How exactly do we abide in Christ? Well, 
There are certain disciplines of the, of the spiritual life, spiritual disciplines, that can help you. Things that you ought to consider doing. Things like reading your Bible, memorizing Scripture, meditating on Scripture, praying every day, confessing your sin, serving others. Disciplines like these, and there's many more that we could talk about. But you know, sometimes it's hard to know exactly where to begin. And if you're one of these very spiritual Christians that you're doing those things, I mean, you're just rocking it. You're, you're with the Lord every morning or whatever, and you're spending three hours with them, and, and you're memorizing Scripture, and you've just really got it going on. Okay, I'm going to talk to the rest of us, the normal people, okay? All right, so how does a normal, regular person actually abide in Christ? Because you, you may be thinking, you know, I'm supposed to do all that. I'm supposed to read my Bible and pray, and I'm supposed to memorize Scripture. I can't memorize anything. And I'm supposed to meditate on Scripture. I don't even know what meditation means, and I'm supposed to confess my sins. What if I miss one? And, and Listen, let me explain what you can do. I want to help you out here. There's a practice that's been practiced for many centuries. It comes from centuries ago. It's a, it's a long, old, historic Christian tradition. And it was a way in which Christians were able to keep their focus on Christ and keep fellowship with Christ. And it, the, the name of this was called Rule of Life. Now, when you think of rule of life, I don't want you thinking of rules like a board game rules, you know, not like Monopoly rules. Okay, because the Christian life, we know, is not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. You better not do that. You better not do that. You better do this thing over there. It's not, that's not the Christian life at all. Okay? So we're not talking about those types of rules. By rule of life, here's what I mean. I mean that you decide to order your life in such a way that you abide in Christ. In other words, this is a way for you to rule your own life in such a way that you keep in fellowship with Jesus. And by doing so, you, you actually discover that it's you not, not just you who's ruling your life, but it's God. And your rule of life, and I'll explain what this means in just a minute, but your rule of life is completely customizable. It is up to you how you decide to rule or order your life. And it's going to look different for you than it does for me. So here's what you do. Plan out opportunities for you to connect with Christ. You can literally put them in your calendar. For example, there might be things that you do on an annual basis that can keep you connected to Christ. I mentioned Thanksgiving a minute ago, but let's talk about that. Thanksgiving dinner might be an annual tradition at your house. And you say, well, that's easy. I already do Thanksgiving dinner. We have turkey. And listen, if your Thanksgiving dinner means that, you know, once the food is served, everyone just jumps in and it's every man for himself, let me encourage you that this Thanksgiving, you make it a little bit more spiritual. This Thanksgiving, you take a moment to pray and to thank God for what he's provided. A few weeks ago, uh, I, I learned something that uh, was really a blessing to me. I was able to meet for the first time my uh, daughter's uh, fiance's parents at a shower. 
and we had food, and it was hamburgers, and it was nice, and we, we were sitting there, and, and we, of course, we had a blessing before the meal, and uh, my daughter's fiance's parents are both uh, Roman Catholic. And after the meal was finished, Martin, uh, my correspondent, my daughter's fiance's husband, or dad, sorry, <laughs> Martin blessed his food after he ate and almost imperceptibly said a brief prayer of thanksgiving after he ate. Well, that's not a Baptist tradition. You know, we bless our food before we eat so we don't die, right? So it doesn't kill us. <laughs> you know, you go to the restaurant, you don't have to bless the appetizer, but you better bless it before the real meat gets there, you know? We, we've got our tradition. But the idea of just taking a moment after the food has been consumed to say thank you, that, that spoke to me. That may be something that I, I need to add to my Thanksgiving tradition. We talk about uh, other things you might do on an annual basis. Christmas, make that a little bit more spiritual this year. Find a way to do that, to connect with Christ. Easter, maybe a family vacation or a retreat, something like that that you do on an annual basis. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm saying be intentional and put a spiritual emphasis on these things. Why? Because these annual events can serve as an anchor and you know what an anchor is good for. You drop that anchor, the ship is only going to drift so far away. And you're the ship. And if you're like me, sometimes you drift a little bit away from where you ought to be. But when you have those anchors, it serves as a reminder, a marker. Hey, let's get back aligned with Christ. So have those markers and be intentional. Think about monthly events that you might put in your calendar. Maybe, just an idea, the first Friday of every month, your Sunday school class decides to get together and just have a time of fun and fellowship at someone's house. You might say, well, that doesn't sound so spiritual, but it might be. Because at that time of fellowship, there might be a time and opportunity for someone to say a word of encouragement to someone else who really needs it at that time. Think about monthly events and weekly events. Obviously, Sundays at church is a weekly event that can help keep you anchored on a weekly basis to the Lord. Maybe a Bible study at another time during the week. Maybe on Mondays at your workplace, there's a Bible study before work begins. Or if there's not, maybe you start one just to help everyone stay focused on the Lord. And then think about daily things that you might put into your life. What would your schedule allow you to do each day or perhaps just each work day to stay close to Christ? You know, maybe if you really struggle with all of your time commitments and you're struggling, struggling to get up in the morning and make it to work on time, maybe the time for you is during that lunch hour when you can take your lunch and you sit in your car and it's just you and the Lord. Maybe that would help. Or maybe at night after the kids have gone to bed and everything's finally quiet, maybe that's when you can take a few moments to focus on God and pray. You know, whatever it looks like, it might be different for, for you than it looks like for me. But it's called rule of life, and it's just ordering your own life in such a way that you have opportunities to drown out the noise and to focus on the Lord. You see, the more you learn to abide in Christ, 
the more you're going to see God at work in your life. Look at verse 7. Jesus said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Because when you abide in Christ, and His Word abides in your heart, you're not going to ask for selfish things. You're going to ask for God's will. And nothing pleases God more than when His people ask for His will to be done, He will do it. God will grant you those requests. And Jesus says in verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. According to Jesus' teaching today, there are two types of people. There's dead wood, and there's those that bear fruit. And I would ask you today to look at your life honestly. Because the one question that you need to answer for yourself is this. Am I bearing fruit for Christ? And if you cannot see the fruit of the Spirit in your own life, if you cannot see a difference that you're making to glorify God in the lives of other people, it might be time to ask the question, Lord, am I just dead wood? Do I truly have a relationship with you based on faith? Is my faith real? Or am I just going through the motions? God doesn't want you to just go through the motions and then learn the hardest of all lessons on Judgment Day. He really does not want that of you. He wants you and your faith to be authentic. He wants it to be lived out here in this life. And if you know that you're bearing fruit, that's how Scripture says that you have assurance of salvation. You just know. You just know that you are one of God's children. You can look at your life, and it's easily identifiable. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I pray that this might be an opportunity for you to work in the hearts and lives of us today and to help us to examine whether we are truly in Christ or not. And Father, I pray if there's anyone today struggling with this question, that you would touch that person, speak to them, give them clarity of mind, and Father, let them settle it today, that yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want my faith to be real. I want to bear fruit for Jesus. Lord, let that be their prayer. Help them to come to you for salvation, for cleansing, for the gift of eternal life. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory for all that you'll do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.